All right, everybody. We got Jill Lane. Jill, good friend. We go back now a couple of years uh, from Designers for Sport and uh, a bunch of other stuff we've done for Muscle Mentorship. And I'm excited for this Houston workshop. I know you won't be there, but I'm excited to have Designers for Sport on board. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Amazing. Thanks for having me, Tim. This is truly a blessing. Um, you're a mogul in the industry, so I'm happy to be able to contribute to anything that you're up to. Um, I mean, gosh, where do I start? I mean, my name is Jill. I'm a mom of three. I've been in the industry for over 20 years. I think I've worked in every facet of the industry from weight loss clinics to corporate wellness, to personal training, to nutrition, to consulting, um, with pro athletes, with gen pop, um, 90 year olds down to 13 year olds. So you learn a few lessons along the way. And really kind of my mission at this juncture of my career is just to pass it on. Um, I was really blessed very, very early in my career to have amazing integrative and functional medicine practitioners, kind of leaders in that industry around me who taught me a ton. And so I kind of just feel a debt of gratitude to them in the industry and the great people who are helping just with performance and wellness, you know, all over the world to just, you know, pass on anything I can to lend to the good work that they're doing and just see if we can kind of, you know, rising tide floats all boats, this whole thing. So uh, I've been with Designs for Sport now for what, three, four years now? Or you were Designs for Health before that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, I was with Designs for Health for, I feel like almost a decade in a few different ways and then took a sin of time out, spent some time um, with another company and building my own business, raising my kids, and then um, was able to join the Designs for Sport team and just really, again, kind of try to help contribute you know, anything I've learned along the way and additionally learn a ton from them. I mean, I've learned a ton from the team that I get, you know, blessed to work with. And uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah. And then one of the big pushes for Designs for Sport is, is really going into the education of trainers and coaches, right? Like that's, that seems to be a big central theme. You guys just did your, I guess now annual, as we call it at uh, Ben Prentice's spot. You know, why don't we walk through how that went and, uh, you know, what is a big like mission for design for sport? Because I feel like education is a really central piece of it. Yeah, I mean, it's really a central piece because that's um, uh, how Designs for Health got started. So Designs for Health is an over 30-year-old company. It was started, started by a family who started with education, you know, and that's always been a central focus of Designs for Health and Designs for Sport as an arm of Designs for Health, the performance certified for sport arm. And so, you know, that is just as important to us. You know, we believe that the strength coach and personal trainer and health and wellness community is really the front line of healthcare because people who work in that industry see the average patient or client more than the doc, their doctor. And so it's important to us to just shine a brighter light on the community of experts in that field and maybe help to bring more do respect, you know, from other aspects of medicine to that field, and then just help contribute to all the work that's being done there. So educa education is a huge component of that through podcasts, through um, blogs, through our annual summit. Each time we do one, as you know, through muscle mentorship, you know, they get better and better. So it's really the sum of all the parts. I mean, what makes it great is oftentimes just the people that are in the room. So we were just really blessed to have an amazing group of people there and an amazing group of teachers and speakers and leaders at a, you know, a state-of-the-art facility that's proven to get results. And so that's really just kind of what we're all about, bringing together people, 
oftentimes people who don't get the time because you guys are very busy to take time away to pour into themselves. Um, so, you know, we just, you know, wanted to spoil everybody that was there. And I hope we did a good job of it, feeding them well, getting good training, getting supplementation, having a community and camaraderie while we all kind of learn and support each other. That's awesome. Uh, so I guess I want to open up with, there's a, I just did a blog post on Peter Atia's recent book, Outlive. And I feel like there's a renaissance going on with long-term healthcare and being preventative as opposed to like reactive. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it's cool because I think you and I and everyone that we associate with has been preaching this message for a long time. And there's an element that is getting a lot of traction with some mainstream influencers and some folks that might have the ability to sway public opinion, which is positive and exciting. But I guess my question to you would be this now on the back end of this, us as practitioners, I feel like part of my job is to help kind of settle these folks down who feel now overwhelmed and behind and give them some sort of like roadmap of, of this. And we talked about this last time you were at Muscle Mentorship with stuff like as simple as reds and like other things that I don't think a lot of people really understand are really big systemic problem, but where do you feel like your role is going to be within this like short term and as well as long term as like a lot of clients have a lot of awareness to this information and are struggling to process it? I think the thing that I've been preaching the most just even this last year is that the basics still work and the basics are still needed. I think to your point, and you know, you and I have talked a lot about this over the years, you know, there's a lot of really cool, fancy stuff we know in integrative and functional medicine, even in the performance space, certainly in nutrition and even supplementation. But none of that matters if we don't do the basics right. If we don't sleep, we don't eat decent food at the right time. We don't train on a regular basis. We get sun, have fun, manage stress, you know, do the basics. And I'm guilty of this. And I've been in the industry over 20 years. I've seen a ton. I mean, I came into this industry when it was South Beach diet and Atkins, you know, and everybody was moving away from Pritikin and low fat. So I've, I've seen everything. I've done everything in my, you know, in my business over the years. And I think one thing that rings true and one thing that I think it couldn't be more important now with all the issues that we have in healthcare and even confusion and performance nutrition is just mastering the basics, mastering the basics when it comes to what you teach and what you coach and even just how you personally live your life as a coach or a practitioner or however you would, whatever title you give yourself. That's amazing. So I guess that's a really good segue into Let's say that you have a person now that wants to start working with you and really focusing on the diet, the health aspect. Where are you starting with them and how are you getting baseline information? Is it interview based? Are you doing body comp? Are you doing any other kind of metrics like blood or urine saliva? Like where do you feel like feels like the best way to get started in this journey with someone? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, so for context, in my personal business right now, I work with athletes, middle school to pro. I don't really take any non-athlete clients right now, just just for personal preference. You know, I've done that work and there's a lot of great, talented people who still do that work. And I just kind of leave that work up to a lot of my colleagues. I say that just to give a point of reference to, you know, why I do what I do with athletes. And it's different based on the type of athlete and the age and maybe the gender. So I think the general overarching, which is for anybody, regardless of age, gender, sport, you know, how elite they are not is to find out what their goal is and why they're, why they're calling, you know? So just like a basic needs analysis, you know, like what can I help you with? Right. You know, um, what have you tried? You know, what's your backstory, you know, and 
almost as important, you know, what are your goals, short and long-term goals? I think everybody has, especially in the pro athlete space, their acute need, you know, they need to recover from injury. They were told they need to add weight, lose weight. But I think where those of us who work in elite sports, again, I've been doing this for a while. You know, I have only three major goals with an elite or pro athlete, making them available, helping them performance and keeping them in the game. So I call it availability, um, performance and longevity. You know, I spoke about this at the Designs for Sports Summit, you know, when people want to say, like, what's most important for a pro athlete? You know, it's speed, strength, reaction time, whatever. And I said, you know, they need to be available. They need to perform when their number is called and they need to perform for as long as possible so that they can, you know, provide for their family. So Mm -hmm. my job is to help them with that, along with, you know, other people on a kind of quote unquote performance team. You know, I'm oftentimes not the only person they're working with. Those are my three main goals. And whatever they're telling me their acute need is, some fits into one of those metrics. So the first is just a needs analysis. I, I just basically asked, you know, if I could wave a magic nutrition wand and help you fix anything or help you with anything, what would it be? And, you know, then we just kind of reverse engineer how do we get to that point once they tell me what that is. So needs analysis, we're going through some just general stuff, right? Get to know folks. Do you find that a lot of people struggle with organizing and compiling all their information to this, or they just kind of tell you what you think that you want to hear or trying to impress you with how much they know or understand? Like, are you running into that a lot with a lot of your like clients and athletes? You know, that's a good question. You know, my first gut instinct is to say, not really. I think I just have to ask really pointed questions, you know? So I Mm. think to really get down to what the needle movers are going to be, you have to be good at asking the right questions. So, you know, if you ask an athlete, like, so, you know, how your eating's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. My eating's good. You're eating enough throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm eating enough throughout the day. Well, you know, that's not a good line of questioning. So it's like, tell me when you eat, tell me what you eat, tell me what time you train, tell me, you know, so when you're doing a needs analysis, you know, after you know what their goals are, you have to get with athletes really into the weeds on, breaking down and dissecting their entire day, you know, and we sometimes take for granted that we think that an elite athlete got to be elite because they know all this stuff. But, you know, I have a, a new client who's in the NFL, who I would consider a veteran who came to me and before three hours of work with the team, which included rehab, you know, skills work on the field and training was eating no food, going straight from getting up to three hours. And the first meal was noon because he's been told he needs to lose 10 pounds. And, you know, because social media and the, and the diet industry is so pervasive, even in elite sports, you know, was rolling around with what I kind of call a Weight Watchers mindset. So there's a lot of work to be done still. And that's why, you know, I welcome anybody who wants to come into the industry and help and support and to do that you just have to master the basics and do a good needs analysis and not skip to the fancy stuff because really people still have a need for just the basics. And you can get a lot of re- good results by just installing the basics on a consistent basis. Do you find an athlete like that has a hard time breaking from these association biases of, well, if I just don't eat anything in the morning, and I work out and I practice and do all these things, I can fast track this 10 pound weight loss and not even like, mm-hmm. he's not even processing and registering the lack of their performance in that three hour period, or even potentially the risk of injury in that three hour period. Like 
you know, and I'm assuming maybe he got away with a little bit of latitude early on in his career or when he was in college. Like, do you find that like this guy is like, I've done this now five years in a row and or 10 years in a row and I always get a great results. Like the association bias with that, like, do you, how do you break that norm with a guy like that? Yeah. I mean, I find the latter of what you said to be true that up until this date that has worked for them, whether it was like mm -hmm. eating Skittles on the sideline at halftime or whatever it is up until X day, that's kind of worked for them. But once they kind of see the light and they start noticing how they feel or how this benefits, they're all very regretful. Or they say what I said when I learned all this after my athletic career was totally over, like, I wish I would have known this sooner. Like they thought they were feeling good and performing well, but they just didn't know what it really felt like, you know, to recover better and sleep well, or, you know, whatever the thing was. So you have to kind of sometimes just call out the big pink elephant in the room. So, Hey, I know I'm going to tell you to eat here. And that might seem counterintuitive to the fact that I want you that you're trying to lose body fat, but in order for us to lose body fat X, Y, and Z. So sometimes you have to address what their confusion might be. Some of them want to explain, some of them don't. So you have to kind of also know what kind of, you know, person you're dealing with. Some of them just want to be told what to do and they'll do it. They're just, you know, the ultimate players coach, they just they'll do whatever coach says, some of them want more detail. Um, and some of them are just confused. And I don't see say that in a way to be demeaning, like it's very confusing on social media. I think, you know, 15 years ago, my job was easier because I didn't have to compete against all of this stuff on social media, or even the internet. And every day, there's a new expert. And there's a lot of great ones out there, but it's still very difficult for even the pro athlete who's making millions of dollars to know, and they fall into the trap just like anybody else. So maybe I should start intermittent fasting because X, Y, and Z said they're doing it. And it, it may be right for them, but it might not, or it might be right for them at a certain time of the year, but not right now. And so I, I find the best way to do it is just to call out what they might be thinking. You're going to ask me to eat more, but also lose weight. Like, how does that work? And then just, you know, give them some, some details. And if they want to learn more, you can kind of go down the rabbit hole. It's always interesting when they start to preface everything with like this disclaimer statement of, you know, hey, just to let you know, I know that I'm going to be lack of energy and not be able to perform at a really high level, but I don't like to eat before practice. And I had to go three hours straight without eating. And plus, I get this extra benefit of trying to lose weight. Like they're already telling you they understand there's flaws in the logic. And uh, they're they're struggling to essentially they want you to give them permission to change their structure to their day because they know what they're doing isn't effectively working. And you just got to have two ears and one mouth and hear that more than they more than they realize or more than they other people can do. Right. And that's, I think, the real value of wisdom. So you're better at listening and better at hearing what they're telling you kind of thing. Uh, so and sometimes really quick, I could say that they we forget that they're real people, too. So, you know, like they have kids, they have family, they have school drop off. I mean, they we sometimes think that pro athletes in particular, they don't have any of these other responsibilities, but they fall into the traps of, you know, getting the snackies if their wife is pregnant or, you know, having to hustle and bustle in the morning with their little kiddos trying to be helpful because they're also dad. And so, you know, it's important to just understand those dynamics at home as well, because once you do, you can help set them up for success. So if they have limited time in the morning because they do like a school drop off on their way into the facility to train, or if they have a brand new baby in the house and sleep is just non-existent, you know, and you can't control for that, you, you know, it's important to understand that and to know and to help them put some things in place. So if they do get some like sleep deprivation cravings, you know, we have some potentially better options for them to dig into and things like that. So 
they're people first, right? Just like the rest of us. And, and it's important to know, you know, the elements of that part of their life as well, because that's really what makes them successful. Yeah. And then after that, are you going to do like a three day diet? Are you going to do a, like a kind of like, I'm going to stick with you for the next three days remotely. And I want you to just give me a rundown of each day. Like, what is your process to inventory what they're actually eating? Or do you just go, okay, I'm going to go off this yeah. analysis and go from there? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to ask them for a lot of things, but what I'm going to get <laughs> is going to be different for each person because they're all very mm. different. And so I learned that the hard way. You know, I had these very high expectations when I started working with pro athletes that I was going to be like in the trenches and in the weeds and basically following them around all day. And while I have had clients that, you know, I was very kind of entrenched with their life. I've had clients that are like radio silent and only communicate with me when they need something. And that could be like once a month. That's not my preferred way to do business. And I don't think it's the best way to get results. But, you know, in the end, people are people and they're going to do what they want to do. So in a perfect scenario, they will fill out, you know, just like a diet recall, just like I was working with Gen Pop, like, tell me what your normal day of eating is. And, you know, if, if you stop places to go out to eat, where do you stop? And what do you generally order? You know, what does the facility provide? What do you normally grab there? You know, if you are going to get into something like snacks or whatever, like what's your go-to thing? Are you a chips kind of person? You're a cookies kind of person. Like I'm trying to really get a feel for all the things that they like and that they do. Do they drink alcohol? What's their preferred thing? All the things. That's about as much as you'll get, at least from that type of athlete. If I'm with a student athlete, I am going to get more days in a row because you know, their structure is set with school. There's usually set things at home. Their practice is a certain structure. I want to get weekend. What does a weekend look like for a student athlete? What does a couple of days at school look like? I can usually get that from a student athlete. I may or may not always get that from a pro athlete just because they're just all different and you just never know what you're going to get. But the more they participate, the better the results. I'll tell you that for certain. And that seems obvious, but once you get that, then I can immediately start to know where, where the needs are. You know, once you've seen enough food and you know the training and you know the goal, you can usually spot right away what the first things are you need to add. And that's my like biggest mantra across the board, especially with student athletes. I always add before I take away. Um, and so there's always something to add. You know, people would rather be told something to do than to stop doing. I find just from a psychological standpoint and so, um, you know, especially, especially with student athletes, and this just kind of leans into the reds a bit more there from an energy availability standpoint, I'm always looking for stuff to add because people would love, again, love to add, then tell me to take something away first. So that's just generally my first approach. Yeah. And then uh, are you doing like a body comp assessment on them at all? Yeah, I do. When I I have the ability to work in person with someone, which I don't always, um, I am going to do a body comp and it's just a tool. You know, for me, it's just another tool in my tool belt. I don't live or die by those numbers, but it's a tracking mechanism to let me know that the plan is working, to be quite honest. You know, I don't work generally with sports that have to live or by, die by that metric. I'm not a combat nutrition expert person, so I don't generally work with people who if they don't weigh a certain thing, they can't participate. That's not my jam. I have colleagues I refer people out to for that because there's a whole other layer of intentionality and, and things you need to know to do those sports. So I use body comp as a tracking tool and I use it as a teaching tool really as well. You know, I might have a student athlete, let's just say, for example, who wants to get stronger 
they're not strength training. They're just doing all their practices, all their practices, all their practices. I'm going to add, you know, oftentimes they're not eating enough breakfast. They're not eating after school before they go to practice. And they want to know why they're not adding muscle, you know, over time. And so it's a teaching tool to show, well, in order to add muscle, you have to have another stimulus, you know, when strength training, you know, comes up and, and they can see that metric change once they start to strength train. So it's a tool and, you know, there's a lot you could go down on how to use that tool, what you need to know about using that tool. I'm almost never focusing on the weight. I'm always focusing on fat-free mass or lean body mass or muscle. I'm tracking hydration because if you don't, then there's no point in using those, those types of methodologies because you have to know what you're looking at. And sometimes if I'm using something where I get segmental analysis, like an in-body or a more advanced Tanita, I might look at asymmetries. And if I know the strength coach they're working with, and there's a big asymmetry between right and left leg or right and left arm, and they're not like doing a dominant right hand throwing pitcher or something where it would be really obvious. I might say, Hey, yeah, you might show this to your strength coach. You know, maybe they had a previous injury and one of their legs is still, you know, off when it comes to strength or lean body mass. Um, so I think there's some fun stuff you can get from those things that are beneficial. Like I said, I'm almost never focusing on weight unless for some reason, you know, I helped a performance center get guys ready for the draft. And, you know, that's one of the metrics they want to be close to is a certain weight along with everything else. So we might be slightly focused in on that. But in the end, my question always to them is, what do you think is most important if you perform on the field or how much you weigh? And the question, you know, everybody always answers, am I performing? So we're going to aim towards a number, but I care most about performance. And so anytime someone comes to me and says, I need to weigh X, I always want to make sure we're framing that well, because I don't run a weight loss clinic. And I think in performance, we have to be really careful about that. Performance should always trump anything, any other metric. So like I said, availability, performance, longevity. I don't care if you lost your 10 pounds, if you can't perform. And we see this a lot in pro sports. Guys get too heavy or guys lose too much weight in the offseason and they're not the same athlete they were the season before. So performance must trump everything along with availability and then longevity. So um, the purpose of body comp, to just wrap it up in a long answer, is not the weight. It's everything else that that could tell me. And, uh, you know, I guess one more question on testing, because I wanted to get into some sort of like, almost like a case study, so to speak, if you're interested. Are you doing anything with like wearables, like HRV, resting heart rate, blood pressure, or anything where we could find more of like the cardiovascular on Namak Tone? So in about 75% of the pro athletes I work with, I do some lifestyle testing when it comes to like adrenal function and organic acids and maybe food sensitivities. Um, just depending on what's going on with them. And I'd say 50% of them are already wearing an, a wearable or a whoop or something like that. So whatever's there, I'm just having keep track of, you know, if their sleep is crappy, you know, we're seeing how we can get it better. Um, I don't live or die by those metrics again, because I think I'm just always cognitive cautious of the mental side of all of that. I've had athletes who are so over, obsessed with their wearable that they can't think of anything else. And if they don't wake up with just the right numbers, they don't know what to do with themselves. So what happens if you don't wake up with just right numbers on game day? Does that mean you're not going to play well? So I always have struggled with how we use that technology, just like with the body comp. Like I think with anything else, we're just looking for trend over time. And what happens if you wake up on game day with a crap HRV, you didn't sleep well in an away game hotel, do I have something my athlete can do 
to get themselves ready for the game, whether it's mentally, whether it's supplementally, maybe it's some breathing work. Like, do we have just like a plan for if you don't sleep well, but I don't need a wearable to, for my athlete to know they didn't sleep well. You know, people can mm. tell what they don't sleep well. So I think if they wear one, great. We'll use it. If they don't, that's fine too. Again, I think it's just the, the old person in me. You know, when I started in this industry, we didn't have any of this technology. You know, we just had to go by, how do you feel? And what things make you feel good and what things make you feel like crap. And, you know, when I teach about reds and the first thing is making sure athletes are eating enough calories, there's no way to track that. You have to go by feeling. Every athlete knows what it feels like to have a crap game because you didn't eat enough food or drink enough water. And so if you can teach people how to feel when they're on and when they did the right things versus what it feels like to have go to a game on low sleep or on low food or dehydrated, then you can really empower them, I think, longer than having to always be attached to a metric of a wearable and, oh, I forgot to charge, blah, 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 you know, then what? I I need them to be able to be more free thinking. So I think they're helpful, but they're not always necessary. You know, the interesting, I guess, thought would be if they are wearing a wearable, if they're wearing or doing something of high level tracking, they're probably pretty tuned in to begin with. And uh, most times or not, you get those folks, they call you and they just want confirmation, not necessarily like direction, uh, which is like, sure, you could pay me for this, but it seems to me you got a pretty dialed in plan and you just essentially are like doing something that you feel is necessary, but I don't know, it might not be the most value to you. It's not like I'm going to give you this like inner secret to like, like the universe that you probably have heard or already know of like right like and it's i don't they start to like walk you through their day and you're like i don't what do you want me for like what am i doing here like what like what was the point of this call like do you want me to say you're doing a great job like great here's my fee like thank you you're doing awesome keep it going like do do you find that's like a, a lot of like maybe with parents like like they're all trying to like hack the system so to speak and you're just like yeah like like let's just temper expectations and what you've been exposed to, you're probably pretty high level. Do you find that's a, like something now, like are there tells where someone's like, oh, I'm wearing an aura, whoop, I do this, I do this, I do this. Like, all right, like, I'm just going to have to like bring it down to planet earth and get some sort of mm-hmm. digestible, executable strategy. Like how are you navigating some yeah. of these advancements in technology and, and exposure to information? Well, I think the situation with parents is a wild, wild west. And I, I say that as a parent who, you know, just had to talk to the coach of one of my kids' teams, you know, just like an hour ago. I mean, I, I think, I don't know if cursing is allowed on this podcast, but yeah, it's like a shit it. show with parents. Yeah. I mean, and again, I say that with all due respect because I have two teenagers and, you know, a, a fifth grader, all of whom who play club sports. And I think, you know, more so than any population mastering the basics with student athletes and the parents is what's needed because for whatever strange reason, and I say that tongue in cheek, the parents are totally willing to pay for all of the super outlet, you know, unnecessary stuff, the wearable, this, the extra training for this. But I'm like, no, really Billy just needs to eat breakfast, take a multivitamin, go to sleep at a decent time eat before he goes to practice. Like that's the secret sauce. It's not something super fancy. It's not. And because it's not super fancy and sexy and Instagram, TikTok worthy or this or the other, it seems so simple and so silly. And like, they couldn't possibly believe that that's what will work. But with student athletes, mastering the basics 
They're so underfed. They're so in a state of low energy availability. They're so under-recovered. I wouldn't say overtrained. It's definitely an under-recovered situation with the student athletes because the number one tool for recovery is food and the second is sleep and student athletes aren't getting much of either of those. So it's just installing as consistently as possible without an expectation of perfection, the basics with student athletes and nailing that home with mom and dad because mom and dad are also on their own keto, gluten-free, this, that, or the other diet and also severely confused And so there's just a hard conversation that goes, hey, you do whatever you need to do for you, but that's not what Billy needs. You Mm -hmm. know, Billy needs X because he's expending this much and he's also growing, by the way, which takes more calories. And so there's probably more education and time that goes into working with student athletes than there is an elite level athlete. You know, at the elite level, they're all the same when it comes to just how good they are. It's, you know, whoever recovers the quickest and is available the most that wins. And so you're just looking for every little detail there. And while it's still the basics, most of the time they install that a bit quicker once they get it. But for whatever reason, there's just still this disconnect in the student athlete and parent population. I for surely just blame it on social media that the basics are what's needed. It's not Mm -hmm. sexy. It's not fancy, but it gets results. And so as a strength coach or a nutrition pro or a trainer or anybody who works with student athletes, I can't emphasize enough to just help them get unconfused about what they see and get really dialed into the basics and like really cool stuff happens. I think a key topic I heard from that, which I think would be a fun one to dive into a little bit would be the energy deficiency or energy balance being a negative side of it. So the, the idea of like most athletes are energy deprived because they're overexerting and not eating enough. So with that being said, and you talked about just eat breakfast, I guess my question to you, Mm -hmm. and this could be a very long answer, which is great. I hope it is. What do you think is a better strategy? And I know there's probably a depends moment here, but what do you feel like you do more often with people who need to eat more food? Is it meal frequency or caloric density focus? Well, I think one fixes the other. So if you're going to tell them to eat more, they're going to end up eating more calories. So they kind of fix each other. I never back into conversation and, and, and or even talk to people about calories most, if you pulled all the clients I've ever worked with in the 20 plus years of doing this, you could probably find five that would tell you that I ever told them how many calories they should be eating per day. Because again, it's like all the metrics, you know, if people are at their team travel buffet, or if they're at so and so place, nothing is labeled with calories. And you know, the old adage in the weight loss industry, you could eat like 500 calories of chicken and 500 calories of Snickers bars, and you're going to get a different result metabolically for most people. I have generally a working knowledge of calories um, when I'm asking their training volume, when I'm asking, you know, the training intensity, when I'm asking their goals, I'm kind of doing that math behind the scenes and I'm building out, you know, and I'm thinking about, okay, how, you know, what does that look like then for how many times they should eat? I'm just telling them the hardcore things they have to do. To your point, you're going to eat five times a day or six times a day or four times a day, whatever it is, and you're going to potentially place it around these times at school or these times at training or if you're in a tournament or at a meet on the weekend, you know, here's kind of the windows of opportunity for certain types of meal combinations that I find is more educational in nature and they can wrap their head around that a bit more. So that comes first. Those two things kind of are in tandem, but I approach it with the first way you said by just telling them how many times throughout the day to eat. And then the calories kind of naturally come along with that. 
so I want to elaborate a little bit more on the question because one of the things that you talked about was how much of a win it is to get somebody to eat breakfast for the first time. Or I think of another big issue if you ever work with high school athletes is not eating before practice after school, right? They go all day, barely eat lunch, maybe they eat breakfast. So that situation you talked about with that pro athlete that's going to the facility, not eating anything until after all of his work. Same thing with high school athletes, just I think amplified to another degree because mm-hmm. they're probably going eight hours without eating anything. So I find the meal frequency component really challenging. Now on the other end, they still are in a deficit. So them remembering to bring food with them to school for after school to have something to eat is, mm-hmm. is tough. Do you find that maybe potentially lower hanging fruits to say, okay, that there's going to be a, a low, a moderate, and a high amount of calories at these certain meals? So I know I'm going to be able to get them for lunch and dinner at least. They're in a deficient state, so I need to get them to eat more in general. Do you find mm-hmm. that maybe easier to try to get calorically rich foods, like so higher fat foods, or just more food of that specific, like food that they can overeat a little bit more and like certain windows? Or is it just like, all right, we just got to go through some strategies to get them? The higher meal frequency because the energy balancing is not going to not going to be conducive to performing as well as we need to have meal timing here around when we're practicing and playing like is it like i'm going to really push the meal frequency aspect or is it i'm just going to try to get a win with this person with calorically dense foods at the time they can actually eat i'm going to try to push for the meal frequency and here's why because if they go straight from school to practice which many athletes do i mean my kids practice during school some of their sports Having a huge dinner with a lot of calories helps get those calories in for the day, but it did nothing to fuel that, that all those practice and not to mention that they sat as a student for seven or eight hours. So just like the pro athletes are people first, the student athletes are students first. So as a parent and as a, you know, all the parents I work with, you know, I always tell them, listen, what I'm doing also is beneficial to your athlete as a student because they need energy to focus at school. And so you don't get that from eating carbs only at breakfast or no breakfast. And you don't get that from, you know, having a minuscule lunch. I mean, my kids have 20 to 25 minutes to eat lunch. And so that's not a long time to get a big calorically dense lunch in. And then they're going to go to three, four more hours of school and go straight to practice. And so while a calorically dense and rich dinner is great, it did nothing to help with all that time they were at school at practice. So I really do lean in on, okay, and I, I'll go back to the ad before we take away. You know, I talked about this at the summit. You know, maybe people, depending upon their nutrition position, might be like, oh, well, cereal is trash and, you know, kids should be eating cereal. And again, I'm not going to, you know, take a position on that. But what I'll say is it's easier to get a kid to add a, sh- a protein shake, some hard boiled eggs, or some sort of protein to a bowl of cereal than it is to get them to stop eating the cereal and try to replace that with a whole new meal. So that's why I take the ad before you take away approach, especially to student athletes, because it's much easier for them to add a quick RTD or blend a shake or teach them how to cook eggs, give them a life skill skill while you're you know doing it. And then again, to your point, because they're going to be at school and go straight to practice, oftentimes they have to then pack in the morning when they take their lunch applesauce, a pouch of trail mix or nuts, you know, they can get at Trader Joe's or somewhere like that to quickly mow down in the locker room while they're changing. Cause again, they might only have 20 or 30 minutes to change in the locker room to then go out to practice. We need stuff that's easily digested. 
And sometimes we have to figure out what that might be. Some kids might not do well with like having, you know, nuts and almonds and seeds before practice. They might need just like applesauce. They might need some sort of a, a protein bar, two to one carbs, a protein. So we're definitely putting in those habits of working to have the food spread throughout the day because I want it to impact them positively at school. And I want that gas in the tank before they go to practice so they can get the most out of practice. And then I do also want a calorically dense and rich, you know, as nutritious as we can get dinner. So I kind of want it all, but we're going to focus on adding before we take away. And with student athletes, it's always breakfast and it's always after school whether they go straight to practice or not, that meal always needs something more in it. So one of the things that I think about a lot with this, especially with parents, it goes into this dynamic of they're probably reading a lot of this stuff and find out something along the lines of a ketogenic or removing of a macronutrient or a lowering their calories through time-restricted feeding. So if I just eat one meal a day, I'm going to be at a caloric deficit and I can manage that and, you know, you could do all the other potential like second order, like, oh, growth hormones and produced and, and we manage insulin, blah, 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 pancreatic function improves. And the association they have with, well, it's so really, it's so successful for me and I could perform at a high level in my job and I lost weight. Why wouldn't this be applicable for my son or daughters playing high level sports? And it's, it's so hard to get out of that, that headspace of this is not a universal law of health and nutrition. Like, even go on like an evolutionary standpoint, like, well, you know, hunting gatherers, we, we didn't eat. Yeah, but we didn't play a game of football after, after school, like, or we didn't play basketball for three hours straight. Like there are differences that we have to understand from an evolutionary standpoint and from your function versus your son or daughter's function. So that process is, I think these are real conversations that I'm having quite a bit and breaking their psychological association with what's successful for them and having really good resources that support this and, and cooperate that mindset with what your son and daughter needs. And they're also at school. And they're also like, I, I was that weird kid bringing my lunch to school every day and eating a very traditional bodybuilding. And I was kind of a weirdo and people would make fun of me. And I had enough, enough thick enough skin to handle it. And I knew what I was like more optimized than them. But I also don't necessarily think that's the same for my kids or the kids that I talk to. Like, they don't want that social ridicule. So it's like having this like this like balance between you as a parent and what works for you is not necessarily a universal law as well as it could have been really successful, but that could be really anecdotal. You know, that process, I think it's, it's a really interesting one to start navigating here with parents and kids and the kids are getting exposed to this stuff and they're seeing like just reels and TikToks about like you want to perform at a high level. Well, this athlete doesn't eat till after the game. You know, like I had several athletes at army that were like really intelligent, but one in particular was like always wanted to be as insulin sensitive as possible. And he would not eat literally till after practice. He wouldn't eat anything. He'd only have coffee, coffee and water. And it would go through the whole day and then mm. would have his one meal per day after practice based off this concept of car backloading. And I was like, this is, mm -hmm. I just don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, ah, well, you know, I'm like, and he started the whole process of like, well, why do you feel like you can't eat before practice? And it's like, well, I read this and did that. And my mom was actually, she's actually an admiral in the, in the Navy. And she's like, this worked for me. <laughs> like all sorts of like layers to this and you're unpacking it. And you're like, yeah, and this is a, this is a wild one to kind of like traverse. Mm -hmm. But over time we wore them down and we're like, can we get you doing something like a you can before practice? Or can I get you doing something just nuts or some something where you get, 
at least some food in you before we go out to practice. I don't want you out there without some sort of nutrition before we get going. But that's the stuff that I think is when you do this enough, you realize like there's more to it than them just saying like, well, I only like to eat lunch and that's it. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, let's really start to un- navigate what all this means. Uh, yeah, you any a couple of good points there. If I may, I think a couple of good points are there is a real social. So when you work with student athletes, there is a real social dynamic to understand. And I have had clients where I didn't touch their lunch because they didn't want to be like you said. And I was like this too. I had a home packed lunch and it was, you know, not at the time was, you know, totally embarrassing. And, but, you know, I was thankful for my mom for sending those things, but there is a real social element, you know, again, we can't forget that these are kids in a very, you know, socially pressured environment. And even in high school, kids make fun of each other, get bullied. You know, there's little snide remarks, kids are jealous and will, you know, say things to you, you know, basically because they wish they were doing that too. So I have had student athletes where I don't touch what they do at school because I will ask like, Hey, are you okay with doing this school? Like I had a kid who after school would go with a handful of friends to the Chick-fil-A across the street and hang out. And so I had to ask him, are are you going to be okay with not getting anything there? Will that be uncomfortable for you? Is there something, you know, because I don't, I don't want to put a kid in that type of position. So I think that's a really important thing to understand. We might be able to touch breakfast after school, dinner and evening snack, but lunch might be just what it is until they get more comfortable and confident with the rest of the stuff to be okay to change that or to know how to speak up for themselves if they need to. So you bring up a really good point there. Regarding the parents understanding that, I mean, I don't have any problem just getting into the Reds conversation. I teach about it a lot. And the reason why what their kids do is different than what the parents do is because they're growing and developing. And that's a calorically rich environment as adults, we're just trying not to fall apart. You know, we're not growing and developing in the way that their children are. We don't have caloric need in that way. And so we have to be careful not to rob our kids of that. I mean, I've had handfuls of clients who, you know, I had a 14 year old swimmer who was told by her doctor, she wasn't going to grow anymore. I don't know why anybody would say that. Maybe you saw her growth plates refused. I'm not sure. She's only 13 or 14. And for a swimmer um, who was a little bit undersized, that's a big deal for her. But once we got her fed, she grew three inches. That's a lot. You know, I had a, a yeah. baseball pitcher told he was biologically behind. I don't even know what that means by his doctor um, because he couldn't add lean body mass. And it was because he was, he was, I would definitely say overtraining, he ended up with basically a Tommy John's injury. And I told his parents that he's doing way too much at a very young age. And it was just because he he couldn't match his caloric output to his training need. And that's what REDS is. I mean, the quirky thing about REDS, energy deficiency, relative energy deficiency in sport is that if the athlete, whether they're young or old, doesn't matter the gender, doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter their elite level, isn't getting enough nutrition in, the calories are preferentially used for performance, not metabolism or growth and development. So in an adult athlete, that looks like just a metabolic downshift and uh, adrenal issues and all of that. But that happens in youth athletes too. And it's more prominent because now it's impacting growth and development and more problematic. Um, And, you know, the girls can often tell because they might lose their period, but it can still be happening and you can still have your period. So that's not like a delineation. And in the men, you know, I could see this early on before reds was even, you know, a thing stamped kind of by the IOC. It looked like an NFL client coming to me with labs that were low cholesterol or excuse me, high cholesterol, low testosterone, low thyroid. And the team wanted to put them on cholesterol medication, probably just to CYA. But really, it was just that they weren't eating enough and they were under recovered. 
And so that's what that kind of oftentimes presents like in um, an elite level athlete, you know, tack on just some chronic stress from life and sport and contracts and injuries. And you just kind of have the perfect storm. So understanding low energy availability, REDS is just chronic low energy availability and the ramifications in student athletes is really important because that's how I navigate that with parents. And once they get that, none of them would want to, you know, knowingly put their kids in that position and potentially negatively impact their growth and development. So oftentimes that'll cause them to snap out of it. But mom and dad oftentimes have issues with food and that's really challenging. And sometimes that's going to be a problem at home. So, you know, working with student athletes, you know, is, is not for the faint of art. It seems really fun and glorious, but food is a sensitive topic. And if mom or dad has issues with their relationship with food, you know, it might be challenging for their student athlete to get what they need. Do you feel like sometimes what you're saying is paradoxical considering that probably 50% of that school is not participating in a sport and they're probably overeating and overweight uh, versus like your athletes that you're working with are, are in a supreme, like I would say it's an epidemic on the other end of their energy deprived. I mean, I feel like every single high school athlete I work with, I'm asking two questions. When was the last time you ate and what are you eating next? Like that's all I ever really get into with them. And I find it's something you're always on top of mind. Like they're dragging, they're not really performing at a high level during a workout. And then you're thinking they're going to come back in two days or they're going to go to practice tomorrow or tonight or whatever they got to do. And you're like, they got to start focusing more on when they're eating. So I agree wholeheartedly, but I do feel like that's got to feel somewhat paradoxical considering that every single kid that they're going to school with is probably overweight at this point, majority. I don't want to say at this point, it's probably the obesity epidemic is, is running rampant and it's hit lower and lower and younger and younger. So do you get that ever? Like the whole world is overweight. Like what's the big deal here? Like, is there an element that you find that like people struggle with that concept to process and digest? Up my sleeve of telling them to eat more often is getting them to eat more nutritious foods. So my, you know, goal is to just help impact the epidemic we have of disease and overweight and obesity, you know, in every age group and through the guise of performance nutrition, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, if I can get a kid to eat berries and, you know, some things that I know that are health promoting, not just for performance, but for their own health and longevity and inflammation and all the things we know that are not good for us, then that's a win. And we do it under the guise of performance nutrition because we know it helps performance and recovery and growth, but we also know that it helps with chronic disease prevention. And if I can then have that influence what mom and dad are buying and bringing into the home, now it's positively impacting mom and dad and the other siblings who may or may not be athletes. And so because I'm functional and integrative trained, there's going to always be a slant to the foods being more nutritious. And so that it's mutually beneficial to just, you know, everything else that would be good for their wellness and health. You know, I believe for an athlete to perform well over time, they have to first be well. And in order for them to be well, they can't be living off of processed foods and all of those things all the time. Because I know at some point that will catch up to them and, you know, just like it does in the general population. And so I'm teaching them how to eat foods that are more nutritious and giving them the connecting the reason why to the goals they told me initially in the needs analysis, not because it's healthy because they don't give a crap about it being healthy. They want to know how it helps them achieve their goals. So I'm always connecting those dots. And then I know secretly up my sleeve that it's also helping them 
you know, if they were going to stay doing this for 10, 20, you know, decades of their life going forward, I don't know if they will, but hopefully there's some influence there that it's good for them and it's good for the world and the population and all the, you know, stuff we have going on. So, you know, what the other kids are eating, it's the same, just like in Gen Pop, it's they're either overeating nutrition, nutritionally void foods, fast food and processed food, or they're under eating too, for a variety of different reasons, access or diet culture, you know, or whatever it is. But I'm trying, I'm hoping that, you know, just like you, you know, you're amazing at what you do and your people in your gym are walking billboards for you. So it's like, how can the people I have influence over influence other people? You know, could they influence other people on their football team or their basketball team or their soccer team to add blueberries or to add this there or the other because it helped them? You know, my son decided to take up cross country. He's in um, middle school last fall during soccer season. And I said, well, the only reason way I'll let you do that is if you're going to get up early to fuel yourself appropriately, you're going to take the right snacks. Um, and here's why. And so he got it. So he would bring applesauce and certain, you know, um, easy to digest like protein bars because he would go straight from school to the meats and his friends would go just on empty. And so his, one of his friends last year said every race he ran, no matter what, he ran the same time. He didn't get better. He didn't get worse. It was always the same. And, and so my son said, well, I, I was driving one day the meat. I said, well, do you ever eat anything? Like, do you eat anything? you know, before the meet, like I have this whole bag of snacks, right? I'm ready right. to fuel up like the whole right. team. And the answer was no. I said, well, do you want an applesauce? Well, no. I said, Hey, try it. And he ran faster. Yeah. He had never run faster. He'd always ran the same. Yeah. And so whether it's placebo effect or whether it did actually give him the energy to run the, you know, 1.5 mile or whatever their cross country meet was, it made an impact on him. So then the rest of the season, he had an applesauce and he ran faster the rest of the season that he had done the whole. So there's an element of influence and, and ways that you can just teach people little things. And I think, you know, I'm, I hope that in the work that I do, that the student athletes, there's a ripple effect and, you know, within their own family. And if it just stops there, then that's amazing. If it ripples out to their team or other families in the neighborhood, like that's great too. Such an interesting thought because like we're on one end of the spectrum, you have so many athletes that are getting stress-related injuries, honestly, just stress-related things like anxiety and stuff like this that shouldn't happen at this stage of their life, but it does. Um, maybe it was just underdiagnosed a long time ago or a whole cascade of other things that are just social media and everything else to process. But on the other end, like I work in a world where I have this like dichotomy where athletes are like, hey, man, when's the last time you ate? What are you eating more of? I'm like, hey, let's figure out like, how can we get more food down your gullet versus on the other end? It's like, I have this whole group of people that are perpetually in this weight loss cycle and yeah. they're in a high performance program and they're struggling to recover from that program. But the reality is, is look, they really want to get to their end goal. They're going to have to subtract the stuff that's holding them back, which I get like the addition mm -hmm. by subtraction mantra, which is the big focal point. But you're walking around playing this like end of like, well, if they don't recover, they're never really going to get where they want to go. But if they don't really make any dietary changes in terms of getting something of like an energy deficit somehow, some way, that they're always going to struggle to make that end goal. And the other end, it's like, oh, you're practicing six days this week and you're weight training three days and you're doing conditioning with the specialist on your own. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's what we need to do. You need to get this, this, and this. And we need to make sure that every single hour of every single day that you have a backup plan for nutrition, like no way around it. Like you need to have plan B contingency ready to go in case you need it break in case of emergency, which is every day and go from there. And I find that's like, for me like this, like one hour I'm hammering, how do we get more food? And then second hour, it's like, you can't just get shit faced over the weekend and eat a whole pizza and like expect to lose weight. Like you have to have, you can't like do this without, you have to make some sort of sacrifice. Like there has to be some sort of middle ground that you're willing to move away from your destructive habits in order to get something that you don't have. Like you have to process that in some way, shape or form. So it's like this amazing, like psychological every day of like, wow. Like, and I think it goes into what, like, I mean, DFS talks a lot about a lot, like this, this idea of like, it's not just as binary as calories and macros. There's a whole other conversation from motivational interviewing to pointed questions mm-hmm. to, to really get mm-hmm. into the bottom line of it, which is I, I from afar, like, and, and part of it as well. Sometimes it's like, the the messaging is like really valuable because it's people who are doing it who are struggling with the same things that we're all struggling with on every single day. Um, so that's yeah. awesome. So, yeah, I mean, you're you're in a bit of a pickle when you straddle both of those lines. You know, I did that for a while and I decided to just pick one side of the line. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, there is a toggle between the two. I think what they have in common is one thing you said that they both are trying to achieve something, and they both, in order to achieve it, are going to have to make a decision one way or the other. And most of my athletes do eat the same foods that the people who are trying to lose weight eat. They just eat more of it. Um, and they may have yeah. a little more leeway with some of the other kind of stuff, but in the end, they're all kind of eating the same food. One's just eating way more of it than the other group. But yeah, I mean, as coaches who work in various populations, you know, that, that can be a challenge. Um, but to your point, you know, just asking the pointed questions and helping people with habit change and trying to, to get people to, the answer on their own through just trial and error, I think is really how you can make an impact on someone. You and I have talked about this a lot for the long haul um, so that they can just break that diet mentality and know that, Hey, I don't have to be perfect all the time, but there's just certain things I have to be consistent with. And what those certain things are, are different for each people based on their metabolism, but then their stress lobus and their genetics, you know? So each person kind of has to find their thing and then they just have to rinse and repeat. Yeah. Well, Jill, I want to say thank you for all the time. Uh, this was really cool and great conversation. Uh, any any closing thoughts that you had as we were talking? Anything that would pop in mind? Like, oh, I really want to bring that up before we break. Well, first of all, thank you. Again, I respect the work that you do immensely. So this is just great to be able to share this time with you. You've had a lot of influence. You know, you weren't at the summit because you were speaking somewhere else, but your book came up by a couple of the coaches there. So the work you do in this industry is important and it's definitely being um, digested by a lot of people. So thank you for that. Um, Something I said there and something that I continue to say for anybody who is in a position of leadership as you are, and a lot I'm sure your listeners and watchers will be, is to just remember that. Remember that you have an incredible amount of influence over the people you work with. And especially if you work with student athletes as a mom who has people that have influence over my kids, I don't take that lightly. So thank you for the work that you do. But remember every day, um, because sometimes life gets the best of all of us, that you have an important work to do, that your work is important, and that you're in a position of influence and that you are a leader. And do whatever it takes every day to kind of set your mindset to that so that when you show up in the gym or performance center or online to do whatever you do, um, that you kind of really embody that. Because we need 
more good people doing this work. The world has never needed it more. And we need more influential leaders who can help people shift and change habits for the better. And so whatever I can do, whatever Designs for Sport can do to help with that, please reach out because we we need more people and whatever I can do to support people in their way of influence or leadership, I'm, I'm here for it. Awesome. Thank you, Jill. I really appreciate you taking the time.